Hello and welcome to The Dairy Pod. I'm Gipps Dairy Regional Extension Officer Karen Romano and today we'll be talking to Gippsland Silage Contractor Duncan McNeil about the changes in silage production methods, the habits of good dairy farmers when it comes to silage and the best way to identify good contractors and how to maintain a relationship when you've found a contractor that suits your needs. So Duncan, welcome to The Dairy Pod. Thanks Karen. So Duncan, can you tell us a little bit about um, how you set out to become a contractor many years ago? Uh, I don't think I ever set out to become a contractor. I uh, was born on a dairy farm. Uh, went to My education was in uh, Melbourne at a boarding school. I came home. I quickly realised I didn't want to be a dairy farmer. Um, my father organised a job at a local machinery dealer here, uh, which is back in 1979, a long time ago. And... Uh, it was at the stage when round balers had just been released into Australia and I started at that machinery dealer um, as a jack of all trades um, in sales, in spare parts, in demonstrating which I seemed to have a flair with and that's where I became interested in machinery I suppose um, and so from there after I left there or was dismissed from there to be truthful I walked up the drive and my old man said, what are you going to do? And I said, I've got no bloody idea. <laughs> and um, uh, it was the evolution of, uh, during that late 70s, early 80s of the silage, of us becoming aware of um, wilted silage. Previously, um, we just cut it and put it in straight away. And we ended up with all that black goo um, dribbling out of the bottom of the stacks. Round bar silage. Uh, as far as um, rap silage was taking off in the early 80s and so it was an education for all of us how to, how to handle it and how to do it better. So how did you go, what process or where did you go to uh, learn to find out how to make quality silage? Um, I had a trip to Europe back then and uh, the, initial, um, the initial trip was about um, machinery but in the, the chop length of silage. Mm. And so back then we were talking about having it, um, they'd done some research in, in Germany and they were talking about having a chop length of 100 mil. Um, so that's when I, I think it was 1983, I bought my first uh, loader wagon, a crane loader wagon, and the chop length was around that 70 to 100 mil. And then the um, idea was that cows would chew on the grass more rather than gulping it down mm -hmm. and get more benefit out of that way. And did you see benefit when you're actually trying to put that into a stack or in a bale? Did it help with compaction or? Oh, I think the thing with compaction is that having the right, uh, the right amount of weight on, on the stack, mm -hmm. um, as far as pit silage goes, mm -hmm. the, the thinness of the layer that you can put it in is critical mm -hmm. and the time between um, one load coming in on the other. And, and, you can't really roll a stack too much, mm. um, you, but you can um, not roll it enough. And so it's, it's critical to get, get that good compaction. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And uh, so looking um, at the moment when we're making silage, or even in the last 15 or so years, it, it's gone the next level too, hasn't it, with silage making? Because it's not just about chop length or rolling or keeping no. air out of the stack or... No, I mean, complicated areas. We've, we've done a lot of research, especially here, we've been very... And, and I was very fortunate. I, um, I ran into a fellow called Frank Micken, who'd be well known through the dairy industry, a terrific fellow. 
I used to contract up in the um, Golden Valley and the Riverina, and uh, at that stage Frank was doing um, many trips up there to try and educate dairy farmers about making mm. wilted silage. Mm. And the thing about uh, the thing about that we learnt is that the quicker we can get it from cutting it into the stack or into the bale, the better quality silage we make. So then it became back to techniques of what can we use or utilise to do that. Mm. And so uh, tell us how, you know, the evolution of that. So Well, for us it was, um, you've got to crawl before you walk. Yes. And um, so the first thing I realised, uh, I started with just a normal mower and a, and a rake and, and, um, and a baler and a loader wagon. And I soon realised that if we um, uh, spent a bit more money on a mower conditioner, um, which would help um, knock the plant about, that we would pick up time. So we, be we believe that if we used the mower conditioner, we could pick up 24 hours. Wow. And then, then through the research that Frank did and other research stations throughout the world, we realised that, well, if we... Uh, Ted it as well as mower conditioning we even pick up more time and as we well know in Gippsland or the old Gippsland when it used to rain um, we have a very short window of time to do it so um, the, the shorter the time frame the better quality we can get in our silage. Mm -hmm. And and so um, you're saying the shorter the time frame so uh, from your perspective um, why is that so important? And um... oh, For us as we work on a we work on what we call a 24-hour turnaround um, we try and we, we aim to finish a farm every day and and and, and move from that farm to the, mm. the next farm the next day rather than waste time during the day mm. it always seems to take twice as long to move during the day as it does at night time mm. um, so we, we we would mow it we would mow at somewhere between around about six to seven o'clock in the morning um, we would probably leave it two or three hours uh, and then we would ted it and then we would, uh, late that afternoon, we would rake up enough grass for us to start at seven o'clock tomorrow morning, regardless whether there's dew around. And, and I'm referring more to our bulk silage. Mm. Um, we use a 15 metre rake. So we gather that grass up from 15 metres and put it into a metre and a half width so that if we do have dew overnight, and we certainly get that early in the mm. season, it's only on the top Mm. It's not through the whole 15 metres. And that allows us to keep um, our program going of starting every morning at 7, whether it's a nice sunny morning or, mm. or overcast. Yeah, 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 because then it can still mix through. Yeah. In the event of rain, um, are you still going to cut if rain's imminent or what's uh, the strategy there? Our strategy there is that um, at the end of the day, it's the farmer's call. Mm. Um, it's his product. He's mm -hmm. employing me to do the job. So I would never cut without... The, um, discussing it with him mm -hmm. um, with the technology we've got we can keep a pretty good eye on what the weather's doing uh, we certainly I would say today uh, 40 years after since I started most of our farmers just say cut it because I think the other side about doing silage the only reason we're doing silage is because there's excess growth there mm -hmm. and we, we can't consume it with the cows mm -hmm. and we need to get it off to get our regrowth and our regrowth quality. And I think mm. a lot of farmers previously have lost that, that focus. Mm. It's, it's important to get the regrowth at that time of the year. So just touching on that, um, your view about um, uh, 
how with the uh, the argument I guess about quality versus quantity. <laughs> yeah. And there, I think there's a few fallacies around. Some people, or farmers, will say to me, "Oh, the contractor wants me." Um, won't come if I have less high quality silage. He wants bulk. Or what yeah. are your views across that? I've certainly had that, and and, and um, if I was to go back, Karen, to when I first started, if we talked about fodder, I did ninety five percent of fodder in hay and five percent in silage, and through a period of probably fifteen years that rotated around. Um, I can remember back in the old days of handling silage that was three foot or a metre high mm-hmm. because we couldn't do anything for a month or three weeks. Yeah. Um, those days are certainly gone. Yeah. Um, we, I suppose it depends which way you operate. We, we run on a, a structure that we charge per hectare for mowing, tedding and raking. So I don't care if there's one bale to the acre or to the hectare or acre or ten. Mm-hmm. It costs me the same amount of money to front up to the farm, or very close to the mm. same amount of money to front up to the farm for me to cut that paddy. So we do our bulk silage on a per metre rate from when, when, when it goes up the chopper or the loader wagon, and then we, um, we use a metre rate for rolling it. As far as our bale silage goes, we use the same system, except we just charge so much per bale. Mm. Um, so we had a big trend to go for quality. All very well. But then at the end of the day, they got their bill and they, and they got the quality without question, but the quantity wasn't there. Mm. And so even the best farmers we're seeing now leaving it a little bit longer. So, so Frank some... would have talked about back in the old day about the stubby height. Mm. If we did stubby height, it just economically doesn't stack up. Mm. So we're probably, we're looking at absolute tops gumboot height, yeah. absolute tops. Mm. And I think the other thing that's um, we've probably skipped over it is that when I first started, um, we weren't lo- using a lot of nitrogen. No. We um, we were uh, we weren't um, as progressive progressive as we are today with our management of grass, mm-hmm. and those two things have made a huge difference to getting that volume of grass and, ahead of the cows. And pasture improvements. Uh, and, exactly, and and our yeah. renovating of pastures, mm. and we we've seen the cycles of. Um, of uh, turnips and, and mm. that in the spring and they come and go. I've seen them mm. twice in my lifetime. It seems every 20 years a, a new consultant comes along and says, oh, this is a good idea yeah. to do it. And, <laughs> and you're busy for a couple of years putting in crops in the spring yeah. and then it just disappears. So it, yeah. Out again yeah. and it comes in through waves. Yeah. So touching back on um, that, that conversation, you said to me that regrowth is important. So um, that, that goes hand in hand uh, with, you know, that that challenge if we go for a little bit more bulk then less lights getting down to the base so it might take a little bit longer yeah. uh, to go on so I guess it is important to, for that consideration as you said yeah um, it's just getting the it's 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 getting it's getting the balance right with where you are in the season and, mm. and look I I could tell you a million stories about people clients have said oh you know I want to would like to see you on such and such a date and I kept drumming it into them, it doesn't matter about the date. Every season's different. Mm-hmm. Um, just got to look at what the season's doing and, and work mm-hmm. out what the best thing is. Mm-hmm. Last thing you want, don't want to do is harvest everything and have nothing for the cows and then yeah. be feeding it out three weeks later because oh. you run out of feed. So mm-hmm. it's a real... I, I take my hat off to our dairy farmers or any farmer, but it's a real management skill working out do I consume it with the cows or... or is it I a true it, surplus? Yeah, exactly. Is yeah. it that true surplus? Yeah. And, and that changes... 
um, as we say, every year, every season is different. Mm. Yeah. So Duncan, um, you started out back in the late 70s with your, your modest tractor and baler and a little bit of gear and we fast track to now where you've got an enormous amount of gear. Um, tell us a little bit about if um, someone uh, comes along and asks you or engages you to come to cut silage on their property, what, what do you do? Do you say yes, no worries straight away? Or is there a different angle that you take uh, when someone engages you? Well, if you'd asked me this 35 years ago when I had nothing, it was yes to anyone and everyone. Um, like all of us in life, I've learned a lot of life experiences and um, I'm a bit, I, I feel as though I'm a dinosaur, I've been around for too long, but um, if someone in our local district rings us, there's really only two reasons why they run you. Is one, that they're not happy with the present person they're using, or two, they don't pay their bills, so they've got to look somewhere else. Um, I know most of the farmers around here, um, but if it was someone new, if someone, which is happening now, people are coming back out of the Riverina and the Golden Valley to head back here. You know, they left here 34, I can name mm. names that left here to go up there and they're all coming back because, and we know the reason why, it's the water issue. Mm. Um, so if it was someone new that I didn't know, I would do a credit check on them um, through a couple of different angles. Mm. And, and then uh, before we see, I, I would say, yeah, I'm happy to do it, but I want to come and have a look at the farm. And we'd go and have a look at the layout of the farm and we'd find out exactly what they wanted us to do. My preference is to do the whole job. I'm in control of the whole lot. Mm. Um, if, if one of my machines breaks down, I've got two or three others sitting here in the shed or somewhere else I can drag in, or plenty of friends that are contractors I can ring up and say, can you help us out? So I mean, that's right, from mowing all the way through. All the way through, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, and most of our clients do do that. Um, they, and that, my clients are people that we, we work for four to six or eight times a year in different sides of their business so they're not just one-offs mm. and that's the way we prefer to go i was probably tried to develop a business years ago where we were a, a one-stop shop if they wanted anything done on their farm they would come to us first and if we couldn't help them we'd at least send them in the right direction of where else to go yeah. so you you must have had some experience to make you take that approach so um, in terms of going out and looking at farm layout and looking where farmers are wanting to cut silage. So tell us about why, why that is so important to you and, and uh, to your equipment and your business. Well, that, that's, that's a pretty easy uh, question to answer. Um, if we were to go onto a new farm, uh, the first thing we worry about is can our big gear get out of a laneway into their, their, their gateways? So, um, and the last thing we want... The last thing we don't want to happen is that during the hectic time, we've got tractors breaking off fence posts or, yeah. or falling into culverts. and yeah. So the layout is really important. Yeah. Uh, it also, I think, looking at the farm gives you an idea about the people you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And um, what we try and do is, is we try and help them, which will help us. Mm -hmm. and, that, and at the end, they will win. So. If, if we can do the job quicker and faster for them, we're in and out of their way so they can get back to what they want to do rather than dragging things out. Mm. Um, and it allows you to build a relationship with people and show them what you can do in other areas to mm. help them. Mm. Yeah. And with where, the size of your business now, are you still um, mainly Gippsland centric or are you still going no, afar? No, we don't. Uh, 
I started here in Gippsland and, and um, also used to work up in the McAllister district. Mm. And uh, we kind of had, and we still do today, have two different seasons. But, and then I progressed from there to work through uh, the Golden Valley and the Riverina. We would go away for six weeks and, and nothing would happen here around Warrigal. Um, but then eventually with nitrogen and, and learning how to utilise pasture better, we ran into a bit of a, uh, an issue where we were starting to do stuff here and we still hadn't completed where we were. So we ended up having, uh, having extra equipment, having two different crews in, in, in one a, a small period of time. We had uh, two self-propels and we had four loader wagons and four round balers all over blooming Victoria. And, and um, I don't, today I look back and I, I don't know how we did it, but we mm. did. Um, but what happened, we were going to areas where, especially up north where they had never heard of silage. Or, and it was the more progressive farmer, of course, mm. doing it. And you'd get there and you'd do one job and the neighbour would look at it. And then the next year you'd get a phone call. Oh, when you do Joe's, can you do ours? Yeah, that's fine. But then... What happened is uh, local contractors up there that then decided to get into silage. And so we then found a period of where the local contractor was taking our work away. And I understand that, that yeah. people support local people. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we did that for about 15 years. And then we got to a critical mass where it just wasn't worth our, us travelling. My children had grown up, I'd hardly seen them for 12 years. So yeah. I just, um, and the drought of 2001, I think it was, and I just said to my wife, that's enough, I've had enough of this. Mm-hmm. I had some very loyal clients that are still friends today. Mm-hmm. We still do the odd job for them. And I just rang them um, and gave them plenty of notes. I said, I'm just not going to come up. And yep. um, they found good contractors to do their work. So mm-hmm. that's uh, so our business grew enormously. And then we came back to being just a Gippsland base, basically working from Pakenham to Orbost. And today we're, we're probably a long worried to uh, Trafalgar. Um, we have our own little niche, um, as we all know, the, the dairy clientele has been dropping off steadily yes. and, and, and if I was to be absolutely truthful, um, for the amount of money I've got invested in my machinery, my account, accountant shakes his head and said, you'd be far better just to put it in the share market and, because uh, we don't utilise it as much as what we should, but I've got great confidence in, in our local area, um, I think it will stabilise. I'm hoping, like everyone, that we have a really good season mm. this year. I'm hoping... Coupled with a great milk price. And, yeah. and mm. the other significant thing, I think, is, as well, is that we need that grain price to drop mm. down. So we need our fellow farmers in the Western District and the Northern District to have a good season, which will help, obviously, put grain in the market. And I think that's probably worthwhile ch- touching on too because when the farm's having a tough season, then it has a flow-on effect to businesses such as yourself. So if the season cuts short and there's not much silage, there's not much business for you, that's right. isn't it? Yeah, you so can have all the, you can have all the, all the equipment in the world yeah. and uh, the work's just not there and we've seen that. And that that triggered in 2001, That uh, apart from giving up travelling north, it also triggered me and my wife to think about well, if we're not, what else can we do to, to sustain us mm. as, a, as a family and as a business? And, mm. and that's what led us to um, start to move into other areas other than just agriculture. Mm. We started to move into earth moving. And that then allowed us to have, um, to offer 
uh, regular work to people 12 months of the year. Yes, instead and, of seasonal. Yeah. And instead of being seasonal, mm-hmm. we had one particular year, and I can't remember, but we had I do remember we had five insurance claims. And when I analysed, it was just about inexperience and, and, and um, casuals and part-time people coming in to help you out. So we decided, well, we need to do something that we can employ people 12 months of the year. And, and we and that's what we do today. We still have casuals, don't get me wrong, but we've mm. got we've got ten fellows here at the moment. They, right, reliable, and they're reliable. And, and at the end of the day, my employees are no different to you and I. They just want a regular income and, mm. and to um, know they have that stability there. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that's an important message too, because often as dairy farmers, um, we get stuck working in the business, but not necessarily on, on the business. The business yeah. And it, by the sounds of it, you really value that time to be able to just sit back and strategically think, well, am I in the right spot? What levers do I need to tweak um, yeah. moving forward? Yeah, well, I I'm always um, pride myself on um, never assuming I know everything by a long shot. And my parents taught me that. And, and we deal with some really good quality people. And um, so we... we we just don't talk to our clients once a year. I would talk to them regularly um, about what they're thinking about doing or where they're heading or are they interested in this. And I've seen a lot of the fads that's come and gone and been involved in them. Um, what are some of those fads? Well, um, the one we're looking at at the moment and considering is fodder beet, which has obviously mm-hmm. been um, successful in New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, has had a bit of a play around here. I can think of red wheat if we go back 10 or 15 mm. years ago. Mm. Um, we've talked about turnips in the spring and, mm. and um, the problems with that. So I see for us, for our business to grow today, um, we what we would like to do is f- to be able to help support our farmers by growing crops and delivering them either then or storing it on our, one of our properties and then delivering it later on down the track. So that's where we're looking at the moment. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's a joint venture. Yeah, if it's good, if it's good for if it's good for them, it's good for me. Yeah, that synergistic. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. moving forward, those yeah. relationships yeah. as well. And and I value that. I mean, um, or we'll, my family was brought up on loyalty, and um, I really value the clients that have been loyal to us. And we've we've um, we've tried to be very loyal to them. So if, we, if they ask us to do something on a particular day, yeah. we try and really make sure that it happens that happens regardless what it is mm. yeah. I'm 59 so I, I, I still would like to think I could still be in the industry for another 10 years <laughs> I was going to ask you what was yeah yeah uh, I don't believe in numbers mm. and, and I think that's uh, I think if people enjoy work um, regardless of their age if, if as you're getting older and you can't do uh, everything that you did 20 years ago, mm. instead of working seven days a week, let's make it five and let someone else do it. So mm. that's that's my strategy. And mm. um, recently having a, a reasonable accident, it's, it's made me think a bit harder in those areas. Yeah. Can we just touch on that, Duncan? And uh, you mentioned you, you did have a, a recent accident back in April, I think, this year. We talk about farm safety and being safe, but... Um, can you just tell us a little bit about what happened and then as a result of that happening, how that's changed your approach to the business and, and how you operate? Yeah, um, so uh, no, I did have an, uh, an accident on the uh, 16th of April this year. Um, 
I was I went to pick up a machine in one of our low loaders. I um, I got to the farm at 6:30 in the morning. I undid the safety strap on one side and went to go around the back of the the, the trailer um, to the other side. And unbeknownst to me, the oil had drained out of the the ram and um, the ramp came straight down on top of me and um, and uh, ended up with about 20 fractures in, in hospital and, and rehab for a, a, a month or so and I've, I think I'm nearly five months now and I'm still on crutches and and the doctors and surgeon told me more than likely it'd be 12 months if to get back to 100% if I ever get back to 100%. Um, I was incredibly unlucky but at the same time incredibly lucky. Um, so if you were to go down to my workers, they would tell you the first thing I say to them every bloody day, safety, safety, safety. You're getting paid by the hour. If you're not happy about something, get someone to help you with it. I do not want to have to ring your partner and say you've had an accident. Mm -hmm. So when I woke up in hospital in Royal Melbourne there, I um, said to Deborah, my wife, Thank God it was me, none of our workers. Oh, yeah. So it's uh, it was a freak accident. Um, uh, I walked a metre and a half behind the trailer. I should have walked three and a half metres and it would have never happened. So it taught me a lesson. Uh, we've um, obviously had WorkSafe come through the pro uh, business and, and help us in a couple of areas where we were down. Um, we've, we've put some check valves in the uh, in those trailers, which uh, they do now, but those trailers are 10 years old, mm -hmm. so that it can't happen. Yeah. Um, it's made me relook at everything else around the, everything we do from uh, our trucking side, our, our earth moving side, our, our farms, everything that we do, just to make sure is there something I've missed. Um, so I, I can't emphasise enough that um, you can never be too safe. Uh, I think agriculture is the second highest risk factor apart from forestry and uh, and we all know we've opened the weekly times unfortunately and we see the deaths of uh, four motorbikes or tractors and and a lot of them you say how would that happen but someone hearing my story would say how'd that happen it, it can happen and I think um, it's really front of mind too because when we think about when we're going through the silage season we're putting in long hours we're trying to get the job done and not just in your business but all farmers are pushing themselves and so fatigue or that can cloud sometimes our thinking and so even more important for us to be yeah and, yeah, and, and we uh, um, look uh, we 30 years ago used to work 24 hours a day mm -hmm. and I, mm -hmm. I can remember doing plenty of those if yes. not 48 or longer yeah. uh, we certainly don't operate like that today yeah. we try and have a system here in my business where um, if we're going to work into the night and, and um, we have part-time people mm -hmm. that can come in and take over from our boys or our boys will finish and then we have a part-time person in the morning to start yeah. and, we're, and we're really focused on that. Yeah. And really with the, the scale of our equipment we, can, we, we don't really need to work long hours and we, the, the work isn't there. If mm. it was 30 years ago mm. and I had 150 clients to do in 45 days, yeah, but yeah. today... Yeah. With the tables have turned. Yeah. So Duncan, uh, we've talked about you, um, uh, what you look for in a farmer client. If I'm a, a farmer looking for a contractor, then what sort of things do you think um, 
um, I should be looking for? What's important? Uh, I think someone that's um, reliable and honest and, and does the job that they say they're going to do. And if there is a problem, and it does happen, um, someone will, will step in and, and help sort out the problem or make an adjustment. And, um, and someone that um, communicates, uh, that tells you um, when you're going to be there and, and how you're going to do the process and liaises with you. And that, that's what I would have thought. So that open communication, um, so if things do go wrong or you need to change things, yeah. to have that dialogue to be able to make that happen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and the, um, one of the things that um, when we're um, doing bulk silage uh, on dairy farms is we've always got to consider the cow traffic in the morning and mm. the afternoon. So we structure mowing the paddocks around thinking, oh, we, we won't be on that laneway for two and a half hours or an hour or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. So we don't get held up behind cows. So if we don't have that conversation two days before we even start mm. or even earlier than that, then um, the farmer might have a choice of going with his cows down that paddock or that paddock or that paddock, different laneways. And we work together. Um, it makes my life a lot easier and his life a lot easier. The last thing he wants is us barrelling past his cows. So it's almost like logistics. Like, who, who does that? Do you do that yourself or uh, you yeah. trained other staff to no, go do it No, no, I, I would do that. I, I would just say to them, um, um, where are the cows going tonight or mm. where are you heading in the morning? Mm. And, and work out and we'll just work out, we'll cut that part of the farm and get that done and, and then be out of the way. And, it normally works pretty well, yeah. And that's communication. Yeah. If you don't have that, you can't assume anything. No. And and things do go wrong. So mm. we always like to have what get out of jail card. Well, I hate my tractors standing still. Mm. Um, that's not helping me or helping them. So we always like to have something else goes wrong, where we can go over there and do that, and, and then get back when we're out of their way. If you have a breakdown, have you got a crew that can? And get onto that and fix that in-house or do you have to just de just depends on we have our own mechanics here and um, just depends on the severity of the breakdown uh, we have a, a lot of backup equipment stuff that's certainly not new equipment but it's too good to throw out and right. get what I referred to before get out of the jail card yes uh, but if we have a major thing we, you know, we're, we're very lucky here, very lucky here that if you look in Warrigal You've got every machinery dealer brand mm. within 20 kilometres. Mm. So um, we deal with all of them and they're all great people. They've all helped me get to where I am today. Um, so yeah, it's just the, the, the severity of the breakdown, which, which, is the be which is the quickest way to get us going. Mm. Yeah. We haven't really gone into it in a, a lot of detail, but, but thinking about um, products that are available in terms of silage wraps and um, from round bale silage to pit silage. Have you got any um, uh, preferences or observations around that? Um, well, I, yeah, I, we haven't touched on a, um, um, preservatives or inoculants, no. as you say. Yeah. yeah, so we started using inoculants back in the 80s. Um, we use inoculant on everything, unless the farmer tells us not to. Yeah. Um, we do everything we can to make the best product possible. So we use oxygen barriers, and then uh, on our pit silage, um, we're using six layers on our balers um, of round bar silage. And uh, I think if you just spend spend a few extra dollars or cents, you get the reward for it. Yeah. And there's always that debate about colour and um, oh, the, with, your, the, with your wrap. <laughs> um, 
preference uh, for, for you? Uh, oh, I suppose the, the bluey green one, only because I started with that back yeah. in 1983 or whatever it was. Uh, and I mean, there have been, there certainly have been different um, uh, brands of silage wrap, if we're mm-hmm. talking balers, come along and go, and, and but we've, we've basically stuck with the same brand all the way through. Yeah. And, uh, and the same with our string, same brand. Yeah. And we've, we've had very little problems. Yeah. We have had bad batches come out of it, and we certainly had, especially when they started to transition to China mm. many years ago, yes. if you remember. We had windows. Absolutely. Yeah. Or to just giving up the ghost. And we had, I don't think we had to re-wrap 500 bales one year because it, nothing we did, nothing the farmer no. did, the plastic just broke down. So buy beware, if the, the wrap's cheap, it, looking I think it's it probably I think it's why. anything in life. If it's yes. cheap, there's a reason <laughs> yeah. for it. Yeah. They've taken some shortcuts yeah. there. Yeah. All right, so just thinking about um, you, you know, you, your top 10 clients um, that you contract with and, and make their silage um, on their farms, what would you say um, that's made them so successful? What, do, what sets them apart from the rest? What do they do? Well, they're very clever men and ladies to start with. Um, but I think they've identified over the years that the most important thing they need to concentrate on is pasture management and herd management, mm-hmm. rather than sitting on a tractor going round and round mowing a paddock or um, spreading fertiliser. I'm not saying not to do it, but mm-hmm. I think that they are spending as much time inside and working out the best strategy mm-hmm. for their business uh, seems to be the difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where they can, if they bring in some of the operational tasks contracted in, it's yeah, well, worth uh, spending uh, that money. Mm. And we all know about the price of equipment, mm. and so I, I don't see the logic in, in spending $200,000 on mm. something that you're going to use for two days a year against paying someone $10,000 for two days to do yeah. whatever they want done. And, and everything's about time. Mm. Time is mm. time. Timing is critical mm. in everything we do mm. for all of us. So mm. getting that timing right, um, it will make you money in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have a final last word, Duncan? We're going to have a good year. Fantastic. Good job. All right. Well, thank you, Duncan, um, uh, very much for uh, today. Uh, we've kind of meandered around from the history of silage to top tips to the value of communicating um, uh, with people in your business. So um, a lot of food for thought uh, for the silage season ahead. And um, I I really appreciate um, the time that you've given us today. So that's it from this episode of The Dairy Pod. Don't forget, you can find old episodes on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. Until next time, thanks for listening.